Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is from Revelation chapter 22. These five verses will serve as the basis for our sermon message this morning. You can find that on page 10 of your worship guide or on the screen behind you or in your Bibles or devices. Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of Scripture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, this sermon this morning will do two things. The first is that this sermon will allow us to behold the goodness of God. It'll allow us to behold the everlasting goodness of God, our Heavenly Father. It'll allow us to behold the eternal grace that is ours in Christ. It'll allow us to behold the glorious inheritance that is ours through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just gaze at it. Just be amazed at it. Just behold the inherent goodness of your God and see it through the lens of that day, the great and glorious inheritance that God has for you. It'll allow us to behold that. And second, this sermon, it will mold you. It will shape you. It'll transform you. And I know that's kind of a bold claim, a bold statement, but think about it. When you see that day, when you see the inherent goodness of your God and you see it through the lens of that day, the inherent glory that you will have, What other effect could it have than to shape you, mold you, transform you? And it'll it'll do so in three ways. It'll change how you feel. It'll shape what you do. And it'll transform who you are. So let's begin with simply beholding the goodness of God. We read it just a moment ago. Here's the first three verses of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear 
as crystal flowing down from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Is God's word so far. Friends, check this out right here. This picture right here is a visualization of a set of data that a computer and human relations scientist at Carnegie Mellon University named Chris Harrison put together with a pastor in 2007. The pastor's name is Christopher Romhild. And together, they put together data of every connection in Scripture, every connection of every name and place, every connection of every prophecy and promise and its fulfillment. And then they charted it out in this beautiful visualization. Zoom in a little bit. See these lines on the bottom? Each line represents a chapter of God's Word, beginning in Genesis 1 and going all the way to the very end, the chapter 22 of Revelation that we just read. And each one of those little lines, you see those? Each one of those little lines, curved line, is the line connecting a promise to its fulfillment, a prophecy to its fulfillment, a name mentioned here to a name mentioned there. And each one they gave a color to based on, well, how long the connection was, and you get this beautiful rainbow shape. You want to know what we're doing this morning? We're looking at that top curve. As we behold the inherent goodness of our God, we are going to behold a connection that spans the very beginning to the very end. Genesis chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to step back and we're going to get some context, not just at this chapter, at the book of Revelation, or really the New Testament, but really all of Scripture. Genesis chapter 2, and yes, we're going to start there, but stick with me. Genesis chapter 2 is the account of God's creation. Specifically, chapter 2 is God zooming in as he details out the account of him creating you and me, humankind, the, the crown of God's creation. There, God created people in all perfection. He created them in his image. That means holy. That means perfect. He created the world without sin. And because the world was out sin and because we were perfect, we got to enjoy a perfect, close relationship with our God. There in the beginning, Adam and Eve, you know, they got to walk and talk with God, see him face to face the way he meant it to be forever. And on top of this, on top of all of that, that God gave to his people, God also provided for the physical and eternal life of his people. He created two trees, one you know, is called the tree of life, the other, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 2 records it this way. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good 
and evil. Now, you know also that in this chapter, God gave very special commands or rules about his trees. He said, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Oftentimes our focus is on the rule not to eat from that one tree. Did you ever realize this? God said you can eat of any other tree you want. Just not this one, but you can eat from anyone else. That means you can eat from the tree of life. Think about that. God gave them all sorts of good things, but he said you can eat from the one that gives life. You can eat from the fruit that is like medicine, that maintains the impeccable, perfect relationship that you have with me. You can eat from the tree that gives life and not just, you know, good life here or there or nourishes the body by giving you sustenance. No, you can eat from that tree, that one that gives you life eternal. That's yours, Adam and Eve. Just behold that. Just behold how good your God is. That's what he provided. But now we got to talk about that other tree, the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. Because you know what happened. You know Adam and Eve, they ate from that tree. And everything that God had perfectly, everything that he put in place to, to last eternally, it was ruined. And God spoke a curse. He spoke a curse and said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is, well, everything. God goes out to list it, but what he lists out is a curse that is found as far as the earth is round, as every nook and cranny. God's cursed, the curse of sin, it touched everything. It touched childbirth, causing pain in childbirth. It touched the entire life experience of that child. Everything it would experience would be in pain. It touched the beautiful relationship between man and woman, husband and wife, that, that God brought about to resemble the relationship that God had with his people, to, to be a relationship that would produce people. Cursed. God said, even, even the ground, even the natural world, cursed. The work that you do, the, the purpose, the meaning that you look for in life, cursed. Every aspect of human life was cursed. God spoke a word, a curse that was summed up ultimately in one world, word, sin, and realized by one word, death. Did you know what happened to the tree of life? God actually left it. Do you know what? At least for a time, we're not sure how long, but Scripture says that the tree of life, God left it there in Scripture. He left it in the Garden of Eden, but he couldn't let Adam and Eve eat from it. The Lord God said, mankind must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. You know why? Because then forever, 
you and me, Adam and Eve, we'd live in sin. And so God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. God placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That's it, the way to live forever, the way to have that which God created perfectly was blocked off. You weren't getting through a flashing flame of swords that the Lord God put there. And yet all was not lost. That's the end of Genesis 3. A few verses back, the Lord God said another curse, a curse to Satan, a curse to the serpent. And you know when God curses the devil, well, what else is that except actually a blessing to God's people? He said, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. And he went on to say the goodness of that curse. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Do you know what God, the author of life, the author of your salvation was doing in that verse? He was tipping his hand. He was showing you this. He was showing you the connection would come, the connection to a promise that there would be one to come to reverse the curse. Galatians 3 actually says it really well. You know we're talking about Christ and his work on the cross. Galatians 3 says Christ redeemed us from the curse, the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, a promise to reverse the curse, a promise that, yes, You know what? Sin is going to affect all things. And yes, Satan, you will strike the heel of the sun, but the sun will come to completely and utterly crush your head, destroy the curse. How? By becoming a curse for you and me. By literally taking the curse that you and I so deserved. The eternal pain, the eternal death, the eternal torment of never knowing the way back to the tree of life. Christ Jesus came and he took that curse by being a curse for us on the cross. You actually know we sing about this at Christmas time? Okay, someone sent me a Christmas song this past week, and I, I hate to admit it, but I'm already in Christmas music mode for the entire season. And I was thinking about this scripture passage and a really famous Christmas song that we sing, Joy to the World. You know how it goes. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. That's the first verse. But did you know we sing about this curse in the third verse? The third verse goes like this. No more let sins and sorrows grow. No more thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. What's the next line? Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, 
Now I'm not gonna hit this note, but far as the curse is found, that is how far Christ's victory goes. Where does his curse go? This curse goes everywhere. It affects every aspect of life. And yet where does the victory of Christ go? Oh, everywhere. It covers every aspect of the curse. You know something about Joy to the World? Not a Christmas hymn. It was written in, uh, let me get the date, 1719 by the famous hymn writer Isaac Watts. And that hymn was not meant to be sung at Christmas time, the celebration of Christ coming into the world. That song was a reflection of Psalm 98, psalm that really depicts Christ Jesus coming back at his second coming, his second coming to rule all things. And yet, is it okay that we sing that song at Christ's first coming? Well, absolutely, because that is where God first fulfills that connection, that promise that he made in Genesis chapter 3, that Christ Jesus comes to do the work that God had for him. And yet we know this, Christmas time extends well beyond December 25th. Christmas time extends well beyond Easter and the open tomb. Christmas time extends, well, even further than that, all the way into eternal life, where on that day we see the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. Here in Revelation 22, God gives you a glimpse, a revelation of that day. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. In most of your English Bibles, it will entitle this last chapter of God's word, Revelation 22, Eden Restored. There couldn't be a better name because there is no more curse. There is no more curse. We've come a full circle from the beginning to the end. You see the connection? There in the Garden of Eden, what did we have on that day, that first day when God made everything perfectly? Oh, we had a river, a river that gave abundant life to God's glorious and perfect creation. What do you see on that day, the last day? Oh, again, the river of life, giving life to all who believe, to you and me, drinking from that. What do we see in the Garden of Eden? We see this. We see the tree of life. And there, people have access to it, the ability to eat from it and live forever. No longer is the way blocked by anything. Christ has removed the curse, reversed the curse, and now you and me get to enjoy that forever in the glory of God. And that's the best part. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. They enjoyed a relationship closer and better than the best relationship you can picture. And you have it again. You have it again. 
the whole tree of life has been opened up by the way, the truth, and the life. And you know I'm talking about Christ Jesus. It has been opened back up again. That access is there for us. This is the picture of that day that God wants to show you. We've come full circle, the beginning to the end. Revelation 22, there couldn't be a better ending written to this book showing that everything, everything's complete. That your God, behold him, your God is a good God. He is a God who, from all times, had your salvation in mind. From all eternity was, was thinking about you. At every single twist and every single turn, he was caring for you, guarding you, so that you could eat. Eat with him Drink with him from the river of life, from the tree of life, because you know that your name is written in the book of life. That's it. Behold it. See it. Just gaze at it and be amazed at it. Behold the goodness of your God. And now let it mold you. Let it shape you. Because we need it to. You think about the experience of a Christian. You know your sins. And as your life goes on, it's true that you grow to know sin's temptation all the more. And I'm not just talking about the world out there, but you know that the temptation grows even greater in here. But now let's let's do talk about from out there. Persecutions increase. No longer is it, is it just kind of like the, you know, half, half kind of jab, like, oh, you're a Bible thumper. No, now it happened openly. It happened publicly. People insult Christians, even persecute Christians. And life gets harder. The concerns grow greater. Feeding family taking care so you have what you need for tomorrow. You think I'm describing our life, but step back for a second, because this is the life that actually is the description of those to whom Revelation was first revealed, first century Christians. They were going through all of these things in the exact way that I just described them, and yet they had more. They had a government under Nero 30 years prior, and now in the year 90 AD, Domitian, who was coming after Christians and wiping them out, as many as possible, as many at a time, and publicly. What's to them that God showed John this revelation and said, write it down, show it to them. It's not just for you, John, it's for them. It's for those believers then and now who are going through persecution and suffering and just dealing with sin this side of heaven. God wants you to see this. He wants you to behold him so that you might also be molded, transformed, so that your eyes might be lifted off of this existence and into the new heaven and the new earth. It's gonna, it has to. What else does seeing God in all his glory do but transform how you feel, what you do, and even who you are. 
Let's look at those three things. The first one, how you feel. This is what God's word here in Revelation in this last chapter does. It gives us calmness for the chaos. The first two words said this, or verses said this, the angel showed me a river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Friends, the fact that the river literally flows from God and from the lamb reminds us that everything that we have, our salvation is all from him. It's nothing we did to earn it. It's nothing we could do to deserve it. He gives us everything, and he gives us not only our savedness, but from that also, we'll call it a calmness, a, a peace, a hope. You see, that actually means something, that, well, the water and the stillness in heaven is as calm. You hear that throughout Revelation, that what John's seeing is, is as clear as glass. There's just peace peace that comes from God's throne that that transcends our understanding, but transcends into every aspect of our life. The hope that Christian has for heaven is not one of some nebulous someday maybe, but it is a hope that gives us an anchor through the chaos, through the storms at life. It is a calm that, that well, penetrates our hearts. So no matter what our circumstances are, we know that there is a God. And from his throne flows all things, the water of life. And he gives us what we need. You know, we back up just one verse before the revelation in verse chapter 22 that we're reading. And God there describing his heaven says, nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and you will drink from the water of life and eat from the tree of life. And this has a dramatic effect on how we feel even now. It gives us calmness amid all the chaos of life, knowing that this is the hope of heaven. This is the picture of how God reveals it. The second thing is this. It changes what you do. It gives you purpose for the present. Revelation 22 said, the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Did you catch that? In just two verses, there's kind of this contradiction. It says that, well, first, his servants will serve him, and second, well, they will reign forever and ever. So what is it? He's talking about you. Will you serve or will you reign? We'll step back and, and remember what the curse did. What the curse did to work, to meaning, to fulfillment, to our life on this earth. It wrecked it. It ruined it. Even the work of our hands, it's always going to be filled with toil and tension. And yet, your redemption in Christ Jesus, the reversal of the curse that he gave to you on the cross, 
Well, even redeemed our purpose and, and what we do for life. Yes, this side of heaven, often our work is, is fraught with frustration. And yet it need not be because everything that you do now serves the one who you will serve forever in heaven. And the word serve here I underlined because a better word for it is actually worship him. Everything that we do is actually worship. The work that you do, fun or not fun, is worship for your God, worship to your God. The chores that you do around the house, the, the diapers that you change, the, the leaves that you're, that you're raking, that's worship to your God. This vision of heaven, beholding it, it, it molds the way you think through everything that you do in this life. Maybe it's It's putting out a fire at work or trying to get along with someone at work or even in your family. That is worship. Your purpose changes when you behold this vision, this vision of heaven, this joyful vision that God gives. We could go on and on with the list. Every time you gather together for worship, well, that's worship. When you gather together around God's word with your group or on your own in the morning, that's worship. When you make breakfast for your family, that's, that's worship. When you go to work, that's, that can be worship. When you pray, that's worship. When you just play with your kids, that's worship because God has not only redeemed you, he has redeemed everything that you do. And now it's for a higher purpose. It's for him. God's word not only transforms, not only shapes how you feel, but what you do and finally who you are giving you an identity for, let's call it, the in-between. Verse 4 of Revelation 22 said, They, that is you, will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. At the end of worship this morning, just like we do every week, I will speak the Aaronic blessing to you, a blessing passed down from the very Old Testament times to God's people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. In other words, the Lord looks at you. Know this, in Christ Jesus, the Lord looks at you and he smiles at you. That's what you have now. But this is what you will see forever in heaven. You will be face to face and the Lord will smile at you. He will shine on you. And why? Because he died to make you his. He left that heaven and earth in order to redeem you, in order to bring you back to him. And now your names, it's it's tattooed on your forehead that he is yours and you are his forever. You say, why does this matter? Well, because you know whose you are you know who you are. And you not only know who you are and your identity is set in Christ Jesus, but listen, the entire story is written for the most part. You know the beginning. You know the middle. You know what Christ came and did. You know the end. The only thing that you don't know is, well, here you are, the character right here. You know exactly who you are, what to do, how to feel. You just don't know what these last chapters will be like, but what you know for certain is that you will see your God. You will see him face to face. You know exactly what your identity is. Thinking through this, this 
last chapter of the book of the Bible, I was reminded of a scene in the movie Harry Met Sally. There, they're riding in the car together, and they're making this long road trip, and very quickly, the conversation turns rather serious. They're talking about life and death. Harry makes a comment to Sally. He says, when I buy a book, I always read the last page first, because then if I die before I finish the book, I know how it ends. Harry did it because of kind of a pessimistic or or dark view of life and what's waiting. But that's exactly what we did this morning. Christians, we, we flipped to the last page. We read Revelation chapter 22. This is it. This is the end. But in doing so, It gives you a hope-filled and optimistic view of every other page of Scripture, of every other page of the story of your salvation. It gives you hope and joy for every other page of your life. Because your Savior in Christ, he has not only given you a vision of his good and glorious self, not only that, but the grace that is yours in Christ, he's also changed you. He's transformed you how you feel when circumstances are hard until we get to heaven with him. What we do right now in the present until we spend eternity with him. And it's all because we know exactly what what kind of role we play, what character we are in this story. We are his and he is ours. Come Lord Jesus, amen.